the key to running a race is just to keep on running. The key to running a race is just to keep on running. A few years ago, I read an article in the Guardian newspaper. This was the title, the headline. Quote, I'm nine years old and I won an adult 10K race by mistake. A nine-year-old boy named Cade Lavelle was driven by his mother from their home in St. Cloud, Minnesota to a 5K race. It was raining and the race started an hour late. The starting line was crowded. Cade positioned himself in the front and in the middle because that's where he likes to, to run. The race started. He went off. He was running through a neighborhood. It was really raining hard even after the, the race started. He comes to a, a fork in the course and the, the course guide who was standing there was waving him down a certain path. And so Cade kept going down that path. After a while, Cade began to get tired. He got his muscles began to ache more than normal. And he just kept telling himself, keep running. He gets to the corner, turns eventually after a while, and then he sees the finish line. Standing right next to the finish line is his mother, and she's angry. He runs through the finish line, and his mom starts yelling at him. Why did you do this, Cade? You're in so much trouble. Well, it turns out his mother had been waiting at the 5K finish line, and he had never finished. And all the runners from the 5K had come across the finish line, but there was no Cade. And his mother and the grandmother took his picture and showed it to a firefighter and said, I think my son is missing. They began to canvas the crowd, no Cade. Then the race organizer shows up and says, a young boy fitting that description is actually running in the 10K. So the, the mom is there as he finishes, thinking that Cade had run that intentionally. Well, it turns out the race organizer comes up as Cade is explaining to his mom what had happened. He took a wrong turn. And the race organizer says, well, he finished first. He won the whole race. Nobody else has finished yet. And a minute later, a 40-year-old runner finishes. And so the rest of Cade's day was interesting. He wasn't getting yelled at. He said the rest of his day was pretty normal. He went home, took a bath, did homework, and played with his dog. Now, what struck me were these words by Cade, the nine-year-old. He said, quote, I couldn't believe it. I was tired and sore and confused and alone. I didn't know why the, the race felt so long, but I just kept on running. I kept on running until I crossed the finish line. Now, brothers and sisters, God's word teaches us that the Christian life is a race of faith. It's a race of faith that we must keep on running until we cross the finish line. During this race, we will feel tired, confused, sore, even at times alone. But the Bible summons us to keep on running.
We're called to keep on running all the way to the end. That's what we find in our sermon passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. So I invite you, if you have a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 12. We're just looking at verses 1 and 2 this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 1008, I think. Maybe not. If it's not, okay, I'm getting a nod. So 1008. If you're not used to reading a Bible, take the Pew Bible as a gift. We want you to have God's word that you can read for yourself. Um, In the month of January, we tend to do sort of one-off messages that focus us on major themes that we want to be thinking about for the next year. And so in a few weeks, we'll be jumping right back into the Gospel of Luke and pick up in that series as we left off last year. But this morning, we're thinking about, in light of what we heard last week from Andrew about the Gospel of Grace, this morning we want to think about the race of faith that God's calling us to keep running in 2022. Now, before we read the passage, let me just remind you of the context. Some of you may be really familiar with Hebrews. Some of you may not be. Here's the context. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22, the writer calls this letter a word of exhortation. It is a long, extended, Old Testament-filled sermon that's exhorting and encouraging the readers of this of this letter to persevere in the faith. This was probably written before 70 AD, before the destruction of the temple, but it was written to some Jewish believers who were being persecuted, who were tired, who were sore, who were doubting, and those Jewish believers were thinking about giving up the faith, giving up Christ, and going back to their former manner of life. And the writer of Hebrews spends 13 chapters exhorting and encouraging these readers to keep on running. Don't give up. And if there's one surpassing theme of the book of Hebrews, it is the surpassing supremacy of Jesus Christ. What the writer of Hebrews does is he exalts Jesus Christ. He lifts Jesus Christ up before his readers and says, he's better. Don't give up because Jesus is better. In the original, he uses that word better 13 times in this epistle. He wants the the readers to keep running. But before he gets to that command in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 that we're going to look at, I've got 11 chapters to summarize in about 30 seconds. So here we go. Here's my attempt to summarize the whole letter of Hebrews in 30 seconds. Jesus is better. He is first superior divine revelation. Verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1. So listen to him. Number two, Jesus is superior to the angels who mediated the law. So pay closer attention to what you've heard. Chapters 1 and 2. Jesus is superior to Moses. So watch out lest you harden your heart in unbelief, chapters three and four. Chapters five to seven, Jesus is the superior high priest who has, so so, so because he's a superior high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, press on to maturity, 
That's chapters five to seven. And then in chapters in chapters eight to ten, the writer says about Jesus that he is the superior sacrifice who has purchased and secured for us the forgiveness of sins through a superior covenant, the new covenant. And so draw near to the throne of grace with boldness and confidence and find grace in your times of need. And then we get to chapter 11, that famous chapter that lists out all of these Old Testament heroes of the faith. And what we see in chapter 11 is what enduring faith looks like. That brings us to chapter 12, verse 1. This is what scripture says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. My prayer for each one of us this morning is that if you're weary or sore or confused or you feel alone, that by God's word, by his spirit, he would fix our eyes on Christ. And that by looking to Christ, we would find the strength and grace to continue to finish the race. That's my prayer. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, there's only one main point. Sometimes I have three points. This is a, you can, your hand's going to get a break today. One point. There's one main point of Hebrews 12, one to two. And here it is. Keep on running the race of faith. That's it. Keep on running the race of faith. What's the point? Keep on running the race of faith. Of faith. Where do I get this? Look at the middle of verse one. You see the phrase, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So don't look at me, look at your Bibles. You see that? That's the main verb. Let us run. That's the main verb. Let us run with endurance. That is keep on running the race that is set before us, the race of faith. That's the main idea. That's the main point of this passage. Everything else in this passage either explains or supports that main verb. It explains, supports, and motivates this call to keep on running. And so I want to unpack it a little bit. What does it mean to keep on running? And then I want to help you see from this passage, there's motivations in the text that will encourage you to keep on running. So number one, (laughs) keep on running the race of faith. That's the only point. The author of Hebrews understands the Christian life to be a race that you run. It's a race that you run. Now, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. The the Christian life is not a sprint. So don't think Usain Bolt. Think uh, Michael Johnson, maybe it's 200. I don't know. It's, It's a longer race. It's a marathon race. 
It's not a sprint. Michael Johnson is pretty fast. Forget, forget Michael Johnson. He's really fast. Think Usain Bolt. If that's not it, it's long distance marathon, ultra marathon run. Okay. Christians must run and they must finish. That's the right of Hebrews' argument. It's a race that's long. We, we join the race at our conversion when we trust in Christ. And we run until we die and we go to be with Christ. It's a lifelong race. I don't have to read again 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. What does Paul say at the end of his life? He says, Timothy, I'm about to die. Guess what? I have finished the what? The race. Paul saw it as a race. Hebrews sees it as a race. And the aim of the letter to the Hebrews is finish the race. Keep on running. Like I said earlier, the original readers of this letter were Jewish believers who were who were being persecuted. And they were being tempted to give up and quit. And so the danger wasn't just quitting outright here. This is interesting. Here's the danger that Hebrew says before you quit the race. Do you know what you start doing? You start drifting. The danger that you may be facing this morning, you may be thinking, I'm not about to quit the Christian life. Well, guess what? The danger before the danger is drifting. Where do I get that? Chapter two, verse one. Therefore, listen, if Jesus is the superior revelation from God and he's superior to angels who mediated the law, therefore, chapter two, verse one, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. He says in chapter two, verse three, don't neglect a great salvation. So your danger this morning is you're drifting and you're neglecting the great salvation that you have. Number three, he says in chapter six, verse one, press on to maturity, press on to maturity. In other words, some of you are really well taught and you ought to be teachers, but you don't, you're not pressing on to maturity. And so he says, press on to maturity, grow up. That's the danger. You're, 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 you're drifting, you're neglecting, you're kind of just laid back. And so along the way, we're all going to be tempted at times to coast, to neglect, to drift. And eventually, if we keep going down that way, we're going to quit. And so the passage that we're looking at this morning says, let us run with endurance. Keep on running. Now, if we're going to keep on running, the verse tells us we got to do two things. Look at verse one again. Two things. Think of these as things that you're preparing to make the finish line. Here, here's the, the first thing. Number one, he says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin or sin which clings so closely. Do you all see that? So before he says, let us run the race, he says, do these things. So let's think about this for a minute. If you've ever watched the Summer Olympics, we had a big debate in our family the other day. Which is better, Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics? It's easy answer. If you want to know the answer, just come afterwards and talk to me. Um, but long distance runners, you know, they walk out to the track before the race starts and they have like track suits on and they start stretching and stuff. Well, they don't wear track suits when they're running the race. 
they take the tracksuits off, they basically shed any excess weight because they have a race to run. They want to be as light as they can, no drag. They want to just make it across that finish line. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we've got to do something similar. If we're going to run and finish the race, we've got to cast away or throw away or lay aside something. What does he say we need to lay aside? This is probably the most important thing. Well, maybe the second most important thing in this this passage. There's two things that we're supposed to lay aside. Look at the text. He says, lay aside every weight. And then he says, you see that word and? And in the original, it means and. (laughs) And the second thing is sin. So by the word and, it's indicating not one thing, but what? Two things. Lay aside every weight and lay aside sin. So let's talk about the second one because that's easier to understand. Sin. If you're going to run the race of faith, part of what it means to grow as a Christian is to increasingly throw away, cast off, uh, uh, toss aside sin that is easily entangling you. You see that? So, so this isn't anything. This isn't anything that we probably don't grasp pretty pretty easily. Um, the word "lay aside" in the New Testament is often describing uh, taking off a garment. So the picture for us in this verse is to think of sin almost like a, a stained garment that you're taking off and laying to the side. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been rescued by His grace, and so He's calling you increasingly to take off whatever sin and throw it to the side, to throw it away, to lay aside, to lay aside this sin that clings so closely. So I want you to just think about that. Throw off the sin that entangles, the sin that's, that's clinging to you this morning, a, a sin that is entangling you, that's hindering you, the writer of Hebrews says, if you're going to finish the race, you don't need that. Throw it off. Lay it to the side. A few verses later, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, strive for the holiness without which none of us will see the Lord. So this is progressive sanctification. If you like theological words, progressive sanctification. We don't become perfect in this life, but we are increasingly by his grace, through his word and the power of his spirit, Growing more and more like Christ. We're, we're, we're throwing off sin. Let me give you a few other verses to help you see this. Ephesians 4, 22, same verb. Put off, you hear that? Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Same verb. Second passage, Romans 13, 12. Cast off the works of of darkness, put on the armor of light. You get the image, throw it off, get rid of it. So I want you to think about this morning. What sin is the Lord calling you to lay aside? We're really good at thinking of the sins that our spouse needs to lay aside or our roommate or our kids or our boss I'm an expert in other people's sins. But what sin is the Lord calling you? What what sin is hindering you? 
What sin is clinging? The Bible says in James 1.21, put it away. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and with meekness receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. We won't, we won't be perfect. But this is the pattern. If we're going to run the race, we've got to put this off. But notice the writer of Hebrews says, not just put away sin. He says, and you're to put away what he calls a weight. This is important. Do you see this? Weight and sin. Your Bible may say hindrance. Uh, I think one translation rendered it encumbrance. Not a word that we use that often, encumbrance. Um, a burden. So the writer of Hebrews has in mind a, a burden, uh, a burden. And notice, it's not sin. You follow me? He's thinking of, there is something in his mind called a weight or a hindrance or a burden that's not sin. That he says you need to lay aside. Now, the image is, that I have in my mind is, y'all know what rucking is? Some of you know it. Some of you crazy people know what rucking is. Rucking is a sport kind of a thing where you, you run this obstacle course, long distance race kind of a thing, but you don't just do the obstacle course. You wear a backpack with like a ton of weight in it. Sounds like fun, right? So, now, be honest. Raise your hand if you've done one of these. Okay, we got a couple ruckers here. Um, if you have questions, ask, ask Mr. Rucker back here in the back, right? This is, Hebrews is saying the opposite of rucking. He wants you to get the rucksack off. Rucksacks aren't sinful. <laughs> they're, not, they're not sinful. But he's saying, throw it off. He has, he has a category that there is something that is a weight that's hindering you from running that's lawful. That's not sin. So for example, Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So there's a category, Christian, that you need to know. And I want the young people to listen up. I know y'all listen very carefully. I want you to listen up because this is something I did not know this when I was in high school. I was a young Christian. I didn't know this because I didn't know Hebrews. And I certainly didn't know this verse. But this is important for young people to, get, to, to grasp because it'll help you understand something dynamic in the Christian life. The weights the writer of Hebrews wants us to throw off are not sins. They're non-sinful things that could be hindering your walk with Christ. So at the outset of the new year, the writer of Hebrews and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be thinking that we need to cast away sin, yes. But if you're going to keep running the race, there is some lawful, non-sinful things in your life right now that may be getting in your way, that are weighing you down, that are hindering your run. Now, what are those things? The, the verse doesn't say. I wish there was a little footnote that says, now, by weight, I mean and lists out all the weights. There's nothing there. We could look at the rest of the chapter and try to meditate on this. Let me just throw out some to offend everyone. Here are some weights that might be a weight in your life 
that isn't sinful. And yet it might be a hindrance. It might be dominating you. First Corinthians 6, 12. The Internet. Social media. By that, I mean Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, your iPhone, video games, Netflix, TV, the news, sports, politics, checking your work email 24-7. None of these things. Okay, we heard heard some, some responses, right? None of these things, none of these things are inherently sinful. Maybe Facebook, but the rest of it, the, the rest of it probably isn't. No, none, none of those things. If you say, am I sinning by doing those things? You may not be sinning, but are they dominating you? Are, are they helping you? So, so the reason I say this, especially teenagers, is this was the question I asked in high school as a new Christian. I would ask the question, is it sinful? That was the only question I had. Is it sinful for me to do this? No. Okay, I'll do it. I never stopped to think. I should ask, is it sinful? If it's not sinful, okay, I may do it. And the second question that this text is saying is, is it going to weigh me down? Or is it going to help me to run faster and with endurance? The question isn't, is this wrong for me to do? The question ought to be, is this going to help me run after Christ? Is it going to free me up to love my neighbor, to love my spouse, to love my kids, to love my fellow members in the church? Do I need to put something? And here's the thing. It may not be the weight that your friend or, or, or roommate or wife or, or husband needs to put up. I'm talking about you. It may be something that only you need to do. And so what I would encourage you, what I would encourage you is this week, this week, just set aside some time. Alone, ask the Lord, search your own heart. Ask, how am I spending my time? What do I think about? What do I pay attention to? What do I I put before my eyes? Ask yourself, in light of my calling, in light of my responsibilities, in light of my vocation, in light of all of the people in my sphere that you've called me to love and care for and serve, Is there anything in my life while lawful is not helping me run? Is there anything in my life that's not sinful, but it's dominating me? Is there anything that's weighing me down that I need to lay aside? Think about it. Pray about it. It may be helpful to write it down and then talk to someone about it. Talk to someone. Talk to someone in this church. Talk to someone you're close to. We have the amazing privilege in the local church to help one another run this race. Isn't that beautiful? You notice the word that gets repeated a bunch of times here is the word us. You see that? This is a corporate command. Let us, let us run the race. Let us lay aside. Let us run the race that is set before us. We're we're called to help one another. And so Christian In this church, we rejoice at each other's happiness and we endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. That's why you're in the church is to have someone else to come alongside to help you as you lay down those burdens 
to help you make it up the hill. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon once where he talked about this verse, or chapter 13 at least. And he had this image of the Christian life is that we're all walking, struggling up this hill together to make it to the heavenly city. This narrow path to get there. And the image is when someone falls down, you reach over and help that person up. And then when you fall down, there's someone there to help you up. We're trying to help, our, help each other get to glory. And so this may feel like a lot of commands. Lay aside, keep running, law, law, law. Well, I want to give you some gospel. There, there, there's three motivations as we close that are intended to be, uh, to switch the metaphor, wind in the sails. Uh, when I would run long distance races, uh, I'm sure you've had this experience. They set up the course directors, they set up places along the race with like Gatorade and water so that right when you're about to faint, you come around the corner and there's someone holding Gatorade and you're like, yes, hallelujah. You get Gatorade, you, you, you do the whole like Gatorade and then you get the water and you dump it on your head and you look cool, keep running. Well, this passage has three Gatorade stands set up because the writer at this point knows you're weary, knows you're tired, knows you're sore, knows you're confused. And so he wants to give you some motivation to help you keep running. So I want to close with those gospel motivations. The first gospel motivation is this. Number one, look back for witnesses or look back to witnesses for encouragement. Look back to witnesses for encouragement. Verse one, the very first word. What's the very first word in verse one? Someone yell it out. Therefore, therefore, anytime you see a therefore, you should ask, what is it there for? The writer of Hebrews is connecting what he's just said at the end of chapter 11, which was after this long list of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, who all walked by faith and finished the race of faith. He says at the end of chapter 11, this is mind blowing. Verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since or because God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, let us run the race. Surrounded by these witnesses, let us run the race. Now, I will admit the logic of that therefore is not obvious. You got to think. So, Take a sip of coffee, lower the mask, take a sip of coffee, do something. You have to think because there's glory here. There, there is wind, there's Gatorade here for you. What's the logic? All these Old Testament saints that were just told that they all walked by faith and they finished the race, we're told in verse 39, they didn't get what was promised. Now you think, well, wait a second. How are they? I mean, they died, they they. They went to be with Christ in heaven. So what, what, are they, what did they not get? Well, we're told. We're told. Um, I'm arguing that this is what they were promised that they haven't gotten yet. They haven't gotten their resurrection bodies yet. They haven't gotten, uh, even though they were looking forward to Christ, they, they haven't gotten their resurrection bodies yet. And they haven't gotten the, the new heavens and new earth, the city that is to come. 
Think, well, where is that? Well, he tells us. Look at chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. This is the same. So again, this is important. Look at verses 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Same language. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And you keep reading to the end. But as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So the writer of Hebrews is indicating that while the the saints of old who walked by faith and who died in faith and finished the race, they're with Christ. Later in chapter 12, they're with him in the heavenly Zion, but they're still waiting for the resurrection of the dead. And they're still waiting that glorious city that is to come, whose builder and architect is God, the new heavens and new earth. That's what they're looking forward to, the country that we will all be in glory. And so here's the thing. Think about it. Even even the saints in glory right now are still crying out, how long, O Lord? They're waiting. That's the writer of Hebrews. He says, apart from you, they will not be made Perfect. What does that mean? Here's the answer. Here's the mind-blowing connection. Ready? When will they receive all of this? When will they receive the resurrection? When will they receive this inheritance of the new heavens and new earth, the city that is to come? Answer? When all of their brothers and sisters in Christ finally finish the race and make it to glory. Therefore, Keep running. Christian, keep running the race because all those witnesses in chapter 11, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, they're all waiting for you at the finish line. They're waiting for you. They're waiting to be made perfect. The verse says together. With us, they're waiting for all of their brothers and sisters. And when that final believer whom Christ has redeemed finishes the race, makes it to glory, then the trumpet will sound and Christ shall descend and he will raise the dead. And he'll usher us into the new heavens and new earth. And brothers and sisters, this is the motivation. Keep on running, weary saint. Because all the saints, that great cloud of witnesses is waiting for you. Isn't that beautiful? So what are we supposed to do? Until that day, what do we do? This great cloud of witnesses, that's the witnesses described in chapter 11. What are they testifying to? They're testifying through the Old Testament scriptures. They're bearing witness to us through their testimony in God's word that God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Keep running, Christian, because God is faithful. So if you're going to keep running the race in 2022, you're going to need to feed your faith with the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If you don't have a plan to read the scriptures this year, Talk to me, talk to Marcus, talk to Randy, talk to someone in this church who can help you plan to devour 
God's word this year so that you can grow in your faith. And as you read the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, do you know what you're going to read about? You're going to read about the saints of old who walked by faith and not by sight. And what they're going to be saying to you and witnessing to you when you read about Joseph suffering in a prison cell in Egypt. He's going to say to you, God is faithful. And when you see Moses leading a unfaithful people through the wilderness, you're going to hear him say again and again, God is faithful. And so, brothers and sisters, listen to the witness of these believers who've run and finished well by keep on running until we cross the finish line together. That's the first motivation. First Gatorade stand. The Gatorade stand's probably not working, but we're just going to keep going with it. Number two, some of you are like, I like Powerade. Forget that. Number two, look up to Jesus for endurance. We look back to the witnesses of chapter 11 for encouragement, but we look up to the exalted Christ, look up to Jesus for endurance. Verse one, let us run the race. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now look at verse two, looking to Jesus. You see that? Now, I'm gonna get technical with you. Back, remember, eighth grade grammar. A participle is one of those I-N-G words that helps you get the main verb done. The main verb in this passage is let us run. And the participle that follows in verse two, looking, is how you go about carrying out the action of that first main verb, let us run. So the writer of Hebrews wants you to connect like glue together. The way you run the race with endurance is by fixing your eyes on Christ. The way you run is by looking to Jesus. He is the one who has finished the race. He's the one who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so you're fixing your eyes on him. Now, remember, we got to unpack it a little bit. Who's the him that he's talking about? Who's who's the Jesus that he's talking about? Well, chapter one, this is who you're looking at. You ready? He's the one in whom these last days God has spoken to, has spoken us, spoken to us through. He's the one, according to chapter one, verse two, who God appointed to be the heir of all things and through whom he also created the universe. He's the one, according to chapter one, verse three, who is the radiance of his father's glory. The one who is the exact representation of the father's nature. The one who upholds all things by the word of his power. He's the one who, after making purification for sins, has sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the throne of God. That's the one the writer of Hebrews is calling you to fix your eyes on. Chapter three, verse one. Holy brethren who share in a heavenly calling. That's where you're being called to go to in heaven. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. But sisters, if you if you want to if you want to grow in your affection and love for Christ, this book of the Hebrews is just filled with glorious passages that describe who he is and what he has done for you. Just think about this image. Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. 
who has no sin, but who laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he, because of his sacrifice and exaltation, invites us anytime we want to draw near to the throne of grace where we can find grace to help us in our times of need. The entire book of Hebrews is intended to help you to fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the one who is holy and innocent and unstained and separated from sinners and exalted at God's right hand. And he is the one who is able to save to the uttermost anyone who draws near to him through faith. That beautiful. Jesus is the ultimate trailblazer. He's the one who's gone before us. So think of it as Jesus is the one who's, who's, as it were, he's mapped out the race. He's finished and he's beckoning you to come home. John Newton, one of my favorite dead guys, he wrote to one of his members of his church and only who was struggling in their faith. And his one application to this woman was, look to Jesus. And this is what he said. In Jesus alone is my everything. In him, I have an offering, an altar, a temple, a priest, a son, a shield, a savior, a shepherd, a hiding place, a resting place, riches, honor, wisdom, righteousness, holiness, in short, in him, I have everything. Paper cannot contain the inventory of the blessings, treasures, unsearchable, inexhaustible blessings and treasures which are hidden in Christ. And he communicates all of these to poor sinners like us who believe in his blessed name. Friend, if you have Christ, you have everything. He is our everything. So don't look to the side. Don't look to the left or to the right. Look to him. Look to him. If you need encouragement to keep on running, know that Christ is waiting for you at the finish line. Friend, if you're not a follower of Christ, this is the, this is the, the perfect example of what faith means. Faith means not looking to yourself, not looking to your own works, not looking to your own abilities, not looking to your own efforts. Faith is looking away from yourself to the Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who who despised the shame of the cross, who died as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins and who rose again to offer life and mercy and grace to anyone who would ever look to him by faith alone. If that's you this morning, trust him. Turn from your sins and cast yourself on the mercy and love of a savior who can save to the uttermost. Receive him in the empty hands of faith. Brothers and sisters, we got one last Gatorade stand. One last encouragement. You see it right there in that phrase. For the joy that was set before him. You see that? For the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured and finished the race 
and sat down for the joy that was set before him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he continued to ponder the cup of wrath that awaited him on the cross, it was the cup of joy that he saw beyond that cup of wrath. Beyond his betrayal, beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, there was glorious joy awaiting him among all the hosts of heaven and before his father's blessed face. The fullness of joy and pleasures forever at God's right hand were out in front of Christ that he was running toward. He he endured through the pain for the joy. And so, brothers and sisters, the writer of Hebrews continually lifts up the joyful inheritance that awaits us with Christ to motivate us to keep on running. I'll close with two illustrations. Well, actually, it's one illustration and then one application. The illustration comes from the book of Hebrews. Listen to chapter 10, verses 32 to 36. And I want you to see if you can listen to the same motivation that we find here in chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For when, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There might not be someone outside your apartment or townhouse or home about to burn it to the ground because you're a Christian. But this passage is telling us that it's possible to know Christ and to have such a hope of eternal joy that if you had to choose between going, visiting brothers and sisters in prison or losing your property, you would say, I joyfully do it because I have a better possession and an abiding one. How should we respond as a church? Chapter 10, verse 23. This is how Franconia is going to keep on running in 2022. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly father, we pray this morning 
that we would fix our eyes on Christ, that we would listen to the witness of the saints who've gone before us, and that you would open our eyes to the glorious joy that is set before us, that we would not be ensnared or deceived by the passing pleasures of sin, that we would lay aside whatever's weighing us down, and that we would run and finish and hear our great Savior say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.